We're in part 10 of our Empowered Church series, and I entitled this morning's message, Radical Obedience. And I want to begin with a parable of Christ. He had a bunch of his Jewish family around him, and he calls them together, and he's like, guys, I got a story for you. There's a dad, he owns a vineyard, and he goes to his first son. He's like, hey, son, I need you to go work in the vineyard. And he was like, nope, not doing that. Got something else going on today. Well, then later on, he feels bad, right? He's like, well, I probably shouldn't have said that to my dad. That's not cool. So uh, I got to go work. And he goes. Goes to his second son. He's like, hey, kiddo, I need you to work in the vineyard today. And he's like, yes, sir, on it. Never went. And so Jesus goes, all right, it's not rocket science, but let's ask the question. Which of those sons really did the will of the father? Everyone's like, well, the first one. He's like, yeah, excellent. And he began to talk about how God had called out to the, you know, originally the Gentiles were not responding and then tax collectors and sinners, they ended up coming in and the, the Jewish people were like, yes, we're all in, but then they weren't living it. And he goes on to this whole long talk. What I wanted to highlight was simply the fact that obedience has to be something more than lip service. Is that correct? You know what I'm saying? Like we say a lot of stuff. Most of you have been in church for such a long time, you know every right answer. I mean, I put you up here on a panel, and I start asking you, uh, is Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior? Well, yes, he is. All right, cool. So tell me, what's the heart of the gospel? Well, I'll tell you. What does it mean to you? Oh, it means all these things. Then I go, well, interestingly enough, we have your life filmed. We're going to now play it right here in front of everybody. And then, you know, and everyone's like, wait a second. Like, you say this, but you're kind of doing that. So there's, just, there, there's this idea of a disconnect between sometimes what we say we believe and, and what we believe. Well, in the same way, we speak as if we are obedient, and yet many times we find ourselves hemming and hawing on God's agenda. God's like, hey, I need you to do this. You're like, mm, not today, right? Whoa, 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 that says something about us. It says something a little bit scary, you know, the way that I look at it is that obedience is only obedience if it's followed through to the end, yes? Because we don't usually get credit for how we start. We usually get credit for how we finish. Is that correct? A couple stories for you. So Adam and Eve, right? They were told by God right up front, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So all of you Bible nerds, got a question for you. How many days did they go without eating the fruit? You have any idea? Nope, Bible doesn't say. Okay, that was a trick question. So here's the thing. Let's, let's guess, right? Like, I hope it wasn't like day two, right? They like had a really strong day. Okay, I feel really good about that. Second day blew it, but anyway. Like, I would hope they had a good six months, six years. What, I have no idea how long it was. But nobody ever cites the scripture that says, hey, do you remember when Adam and Eve kept doing right stuff? Like, they probably did great. They don't get any credit for that, because why? We always remember them as the ones that ate the fruit and cast our world into chaos. Second story, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is a powerful prophet, miracle worker guy named Elisha. And he had a right-hand man named Gehazi, and they were together for a long time. And when you're around a guy like Elisha, who does like radical stuff, like multiplication of things, he, he does this miracle where an ax head floats to the top of the water. I mean, there was so many crazy, raising people from the dead. By the time you hang out with this dude for a long time, you're like, oh, whatever, another person rose from the dead. Oh, wow, well, you know. It, it's not that big of a deal. And you notice that Gehazi over time starts going, yeah, I, you know, I love all that ministry stuff. We're really poor. Like, we don't have anything. Like, this ministry thing's kind of a drag. Like, everyone else is, like, doing really good in their life. Like, where are we really going? And here's the thing. Elisha doesn't seem to be concerned about this at all. I mean, we got people coming in. He's not raising support. He's not doing any of this stuff. Man, and then all of a sudden, this super rich guy comes to their door, right? They end up finding this guy by the name of Naaman, 
the Syrian, super wealthy guy. He's, and so Gehazi looks at him, he's like, dude, he's like a walking ATM. Like, this guy is awesome. He's like gold's jingling while he's walking around. Well, sure enough, they find out he has leprosy, and Elisha's like, hey, if you wash in the river seven times, the leprosy will be cleansed. And he does that, and he's cleansed. And it's, you know, and Gehazi's like, oh, ooh. Anyway, then they come back, and Naaman is so thankful, right? And he's like, hey, I'd love to... Love to help you guys out. And I just like, no, we're good. And Gehazi's like, no, we're not good. What the heck? Right? And it's interesting because Gehazi starts thinking through it. And he's like, man, you're, you're not taking advantage of this stuff. And which, by the way, how do you get support after you heal somebody? Right? I mean, that does seem a little awkward, right? You heal somebody, you're like, hey, a little something for the effort. Like, <laughs> What did, what? what did you just say? That's weird. But being weird, right? So, sure enough, Naaman and his team are like, we got to go back home. They fire up their chariot and they, and they take off. <laughs> and Gehazi is like, <coughs> excuse me, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, excuse me. And he slip, slips out and he just starts running after the chariot, right? So they're looking in the rearview mirror, right? And, and there's this, this guy's just running like, they're like, oh man, he needs something. So they pull over. He's like, hey, roll down the window, right? So they roll down the window and, um, and he's like, hey, real quick. So, um, woo, out of breath. Okay. So... Anyway, we weren't needing anything, but then we had these guys come and stay with us, and they were like, oh, I need something, and we'd love to support them. And I don't know if you, if you had some stuff. You were talking about helping us out, and I don't know. No pressure, you know, but if you, if you want to be involved in it, I, I would love stuff. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, my gosh, totally. We wanted to give Elisha stuff the whole time, man. And the guy's, he's a little odd, huh? And he's like, yes, he is. And they're like, well, I'd love to, here, take all man, you want more? Like, I, I, I'll give you whatever. I don't care, man. It's not a big deal to me. He's like, no, this will be good. This will be good. Okay. So then, like, he takes his little Grinch sack, and he, like, goes back, and he goes back in his home, and he, and he hides it, and he comes out, and he's like, woo, how's your tea, Elijah? What's up? How you doing? You know? And Elijah's like, where you been? He's like, what's that? <laughs> well, where you been? Living room, kitchen? <laughs> what do you, <laughs> bathroom? <laughs> I don't know how detailed you want me to get here, but... Well, you think I didn't see you in the spirit? I saw you, the chariot. What do you think you're trying to pull? He's like, okay, so what? Well, I'm just telling you. Remember all that leprosy that washed off Naaman? May it cling to you forever. Oh, shoot. Right? Now, you would assume that's the day that he got fired. <laughs> What's weird is he didn't. Uh, that story's in 1 Kings chapter 5. He shows up in 1 Kings chapter 8, and he's still doing stuff. But you don't remember Gehazi for all the faithful things he did. You think of him through the lens of the greed that got him to disobey, right? One last story, perhaps the most famous one. And that's the first king of Israel's name is Saul. So Saul was the one that God said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and put a king over you. Saul was a train wreck. He was just all kind of insecure. He knew he shouldn't be king, and really he shouldn't have been king, but, but he was. So he had a series of failures, and, and then one day, God's like, all right, I need him to do something for me. And when you, He talked through the prophet Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of all time. So God would talk to Samuel, Samuel would talk to Saul, and he's like, hey, I need him to do something for me. The Amalekite people, they're done. I've been dealing with them for a long time. I'm now bringing judgment on their nation. I need you to get Saul, to get the army together. We're wiping them out. When I say wipe them out, I'm not playing. I mean wipe everything out. I need you to treat it like it was sin or a disease. I want you killing everything, all animals, all people. I want all stuff burned. I don't want any labels of Amalekite on anything around this area. You got me? Samuel's like, yes, sir. And he tells Saul, he's like, dude, you got to get in there and you got to decimate everything, right? Like, I'm serious about this. God wasn't joking around. He's like, yeah, I got it. Okay, cool. So they go out and they win the war and they kill everybody and they destroy everything. Well, then they're, going to, they're starting to wipe out like all the flocks and herds and his people come up to him and they're like, hey, Saul, 
dude, real quick, why, why, are we, why are we killing the animals? Like, are they evil sheep? Are they, you know, like we don't need to destroy them. It's not like there's a special Amalekite cow, you know, it's just a cow, dude. And when we get back, we always do the same thing. Every time we win a war, we give this big sacrifice to God and we always have to use our stuff. There are perfectly awesome animals right here. Like they are ritually clear. So why don't we use it? So I was like, I don't think that's how it's supposed to go. They're like, come on, dude, start using your brain, right? Let's think through this. Like, think like a leader. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on. We don't need to use our stuff. We can just use their stuff. It's all going to the Lord anyway, right? It's going to burn in the end. So I was like, okay. So they come home. Samuel's like, hey, did you do what I told you to do? He's like, yep, absolutely. He's like, why am I hearing cows and sheep? What, are they now part of our army? He's like, no, they're just, I mean, we're doing the sacrifice thing, and why use our stuff? I mean, we got their stuff. It's cows and sheep. And... Hmm. So you're telling me, Saul, that you get to pick what parts you do. Is that what you, you just told me? So you're now in charge. Is that it? Oh, you set God's agenda. He just has ideas? Listen, I'm going to talk to God later tonight. I'm going to ask him about you, but I'm telling you what I think. I think you're done. You're no longer going to be king. Saul's freaking out. He falls at Samuel's feet. He's grabbing him. Samuel's like, get off him. And he tears his robe. And he's like, yep, just like that, your kingdom's getting torn away from you. Saul went downhill afterwards. We don't think of Saul for all the things that he tried to do right. We tend to see him for his disobedience and his plummet and failure. What's the point? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. We're called to full obedience. We're called to full obedience. And the reason why this matters today is two reasons. Number one, we're about to read a story where the apostles are asked to do something that is very difficult. And they do it to full obedience. And they have a different mindset than many times we do where we pick and choose what we're going to do for the Lord and what we will not. Second reason is a bit probably more my issue than maybe your issue. So I'm going to use you guys as therapists today. I'm going to project out on you because I feel like I've been soaking in grace for so long that I now think my sin's not a big deal. Here's what I mean. Okay, let's talk about the extravagance of God's grace. Do you understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, not just today, not just your past, but your future? Do you understand that when you say, God, I need you to rescue me, when you fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I don't have a plan for my afterlife, I don't even have a plan for this life, I need a savior. There's a break between me and God, and I need you to restore that. I need your forgiveness to cleanse me. I need your grace to overwhelm me. You know, when you fall at the feet of Jesus and you do that, the Bible says that you will be transported and transformed into being a child of God. And no matter what you do, no longer stops you from being a child of God. No matter what my daughters do, they will always be my daughters, period. It doesn't matter how disobedient they are. It doesn't matter how messed up they are. They're still my daughters. They will always be my daughters. As a matter of fact, they're in a perpetual state of being my daughters. Well, in the same way, when you're a child of God, you're in a perpetual state of being a child of God. And when you begin to soak in the extravagant grace, and when you begin to realize the power of true forgiveness, when you realize what it is to be in the family of God, sometimes you get really used to it. And you start saying phrases like, well, I know he'll forgive me. You start saying phrases like, it's probably not that big of a deal. But hold on a second. If my daughter slaps me, I will forgive her. My love will never change. And she's still my daughter. But the slaps still hurt. Does that make sense? Just because somebody died for it doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact. When we sin against God and choose to do our own way, it's still a violation. Just because somebody paid for it and it wasn't on your account doesn't mean somebody didn't pay for it. 
And when somebody keeps paying your bills, you start to think dinner is free. And I feel like I've been baking that a lot. And I don't take my sin as serious. When will we grow to a place of maturity where we can simultaneously hold perpetual grace with responsibility? Why can't those be simultaneously true? Why can't there still be ramifications of our sin, but also the love of God, right? That's what I'm dreaming for, that maybe we would have a bit more of a balanced heart. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 12? Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Realize that microphone wasn't even on me, praise the Lord. Here we go, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. If you need to borrow a Bible or have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. It's going to be page 913 if you're new to all this. 913 will get you to Acts chapter 5 pretty fast. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now, we're technically going to start our message at 17, but when I asked Pastor Tara Beth to preach last week, I had her focus on the Ananias and Sapphira part, but there was another portion at the bottom that she cleared out at the end. That is the setup to our current story, so I'm going to back up a little bit, recap it, and we'll move forward. Cool? All right, here we go. Verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders, that's miracles, were regularly done among the people, the Jews of Jerusalem, by the hands of the apostles. That's the 12 big dogs of the early church. And they were all together in the temple in an area called Solomon's portico. Now, none of the rest of the leadership of the early church dared join them like up on stage, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. That means they got saved. Multitudes of both men and women. And it was such a crazy revival so that they even, the people even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with demons, and they were all healed. Okay. If you want to just put a box around that in your Bible, that passage I just read, and you can kind of sit in that for a while, that's what we're talking about with supernatural ministry. We're talking about those radical moves of God, because what you'll notice is the region was being transformed. There was a revival going on, and everybody was taking notice, not because there was a new thought, but there was a new power in town. You understand what I mean? Like, people were so fired up, they were bringing the sick, lining them on the street so that Peter's shadow might fall on them, which by the way, it depends on what side your street you're on, right? Because you're like, hey, look, here comes a shadow. Ah, we're on the wrong side. Dang it, right? <laughs> you have to move your person over, right? You're covering over and you're like, well, hold on, hold on, pastor. Let's be technical. It doesn't say it worked. It just said they did that. Okay, yeah, but the inference is that it did work and it all makes sense, right? We already know in another passage that the Holy Spirit anointed Paul the Apostle's handkerchiefs and work aprons to cast out demons and heal people. When you can anoint laundry, you can anoint shadow. Does that make sense? Because here's the truth of the matter. It's not their power anyway, is it? No, it's the Holy Spirit's power. So whether or not he uses a shadow to cross or uses you to touch or whatever, it's still going to be the power of the Holy Spirit and not you. So of course that was legit. There was some hardcore anointing going on, right? And they're having this revival. People are getting saved. They're using the phrase multitudes. People are coming from all over the place. They're learning about Jesus. They're giving their lives over. They're literally having a literal Jesus revolution right there in front of them, right? Quick show of hands. How many of you have seen the movie Jesus Revolution? Yep. Okay, so if you have not, I'm going to recommend that you do, and there's a couple reasons why. One, I'm going to be referring to it today, but I want you to go to that movie because it shows a little snippet of the mess that's involved in a revival, okay? It talks about the leaders arguing and nobody seeing it the same way, and then these people don't like it, and these people like it, and then these outsiders are attacking it going, it's not legit, right? Because they're not even teaching the real gospel, like they're letting the hippies do the LSD, and they have Jesus. That's not the real gospel, and everyone's a mess, and they're coming in, and it's dividing the church. That's revival. 
And everything you see in that movie, it's a hundred times worse. So I like the mess, but here's what's interesting. I went and just saw it two days ago. And the reason I waited so long is I normally hate Christian movies. Um, now, I know that's mean to say, but the reality is I go to a bunch of them and then they're cheesy and I'm like, I'm so sad I'm a Christian. When I walk out, right? I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like I apologize to every non-believer. I'm sorry. <laughs> yep, that was stupid. Okay, good, good. Nope, nope, not going to win any awards. Anyway, now this one, this one is pretty legit. And it, I, was, I was like a little kid. I was just crying through this movie. And it's so weird about this. My wife was even looking at me like, huh, you okay there, buddy? <laughs> and it's funny because the things that move me, like I could see a movie and somebody gets their face chainsawed off and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden somebody gets baptized. I'm like, oh my gosh, the, the Lord. Okay, so whatever weird things <laughs> trigger me, right? And I was... I know a lot of the people that are involved. I know a lot of the stories. A lot of my friends were saved in that movement. And I felt like I got involved in music because of the movement that was started by the band Love Song. And, and I, I, so much of it was personal. But it was a good movie to bring up subjects to discuss, and it was well done. So I'm going to encourage you to see it. But the point I'm, re- I'm bringing up is that change, even God change, even good change, really unsettles people. You guys remember that scene, right? Like they're bringing the hippies into the church and our Calvary Chapel and there's the suits and the hippies, right? It was totally stereotypical, but that's all right. And the suits are like, I don't even want them around me. Like those people stink. They're ruining the carpet. Like, dude, wash. Like what is wrong with you? Right? You know, and the hippies are like, we don't need a job. And they're like, oh, great. So you're eating my food, right? And there was all this anxiety and tension, and they were like, they don't belong here. Tell them to get their own place. We don't, you know, this isn't real. And there was all this tension in the church. Change is hard, right? We're going to dive into that. Look at verse 17. So they had this massive revival, and here comes the but. But the high priest rose up. That's the big dog of the Jewish Um, people, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees. Okay, so there was two big groups that were running kind of Judaism at the time. There was the political Jewish religious side, which was the Sadducees. Then there was the doctrinal, purity, religious, Bible, Pharisees side. So whenever there was a doctrinal issue, everyone would kind of lean over to the Pharisees and be like, you guys know what's up, like tell me what's going on. If they're talking about power with Rome, they'd lean over to the Sadducees and they would make the call. So the high priest raises up all those that were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Okay, couple things. We all love revolution until you're the establishment, right? Yeah, give it to the man. They're like, you're the man. No, don't give it to the man. (laughs) Be nice to this man, right? What do you do when you're the religious establishment? And you're like, well, I'd be open to the things of God. All right, let's play a game. I go downtown and I start interacting with a segment of society you're not very comfortable with, right? And I start leading Bible studies and I start this whole thing and I just bring them all in here. Now, here's what's interesting. They do not look like you want them to look. They do not act like you want them to act. As a matter of fact, they're going to make everything uncomfortable for you. They're going to sit in your area. They're going to take up your spots. You think that I'm not going to hear about it? You think, because here's, here's your line, right? If you already don't like that, here's your line. Bridgeway's changed. It happens every time. Anytime somebody doesn't like something, Bridgeway's changed. Okay, well, let me just tell you, we've been changing for 26 years, right? So it's going to keep changing as we're following the Lord, right? Okay, cool. I'm the same guy. Yeah, praise God. Now, our, 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 our vision doesn't change. We're going to serve Jesus, and we're going to learn from his teachings, and we're going to be completely obsessed with him, and we're going to make sure that the Bible is our anchor. None of that changes, but like all the methods and us growing up and learning different, that's all going to change. But here's the thing. We don't like change. And if I literally brought everyone, there would be all these emails, and this isn't legit, and why are they here, and they can't live that lifestyle and still be worshiping, and right? 
So do we really think that we're not the religious establishment? You are. That's how it works. Here's the other thing. It says they were filled with jealousy. Now, that's not always the case when a movement gets resistance. Sometimes the movement's not good. But sometimes it is good, and there's a jealousy because things are being upset. What are they jealous about? Power. But wait, wait, wait. They're like religious Jews that are talking about religious stuff, and then the new guys are religious Jews talking about religious stuff. Aren't we all on the same team? The answer to that is, no, we are not. And that's why they're jealous. Because something is confronting them. Something is saying, I don't think you're running the show. And that's very unsettling. So they round up the apostles, which I don't know if they got them all or they just got like a sampling, right? Because they're like, how many are there? They're like, there's 12 of them, I think. Yeah, but wasn't Judas one of them? They're like, yeah, he died. Yeah, but another dude took his place. What's his name? Nobody remembers. Oh, okay. Is it a baker's dozen or are there 13 or 12? I can't remember. Just start grabbing them, okay? Cool. Throw them all in there, right? And what's intriguing about it is they all get thrown in jail. And being in jail in the ancient world is not comfortable, right? Like being in jail anywhere is not comfortable. The ancient prisons are sketchy. Like really, there is no accommodations of anything. There's just a dirt ground and there's a hole. That's it. That's all you got. So there's no beds. There's no nothing. So it's a brutal place to be. And so you got to imagine they feel like something bad just happened. Would that be correct? Lord, we're doing stuff for you. We're out there. All we're doing is trying to love on people. All we're doing is trying to heal people. All we're doing is trying to spread your word. God, why would you let us get arrested? Like, can't you just take us off their radar? I mean, isn't this all the stuff we pray about? God, we're doing great things. Just blind the eyes of the enemy. Help us have an easy ministry. I mean, that's what all of our prayers are about. And yet here they are. They're in prison. Now, they've already been in prison once. Peter and John just were in prison. It didn't go awesome. They were, they were threatened. Dude, we killed your main guy. It's not like we're not going to crucify you. It's not like we're not going to kill you. We can do whatever we want. This is terrifying. And it's very possible the, the apostles could have seen it as a failure, right? God, I thought you were going to protect me. And then he didn't. But let me ask you a question. How many times has... A failure in your life turned out to be a plan of God to get you to a better place. Has that ever happened to you? A lot of times it happens when we get fired. Man, if you've ever gotten fired, you feel horrible about yourself. You second guess yourself. Was I not a good worker? What did I do? Why don't they like me? What is happening? And then all of a sudden you find out later on, God got you into a place that was way more aligned with your gifting and you have peace, and you're like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? I wouldn't have freaked out so bad. Many times God's plans include our failures. It's actually all according to the script, and that's what we're watching here. Look at verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought him out. And he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this, what? Life. That's how he describes the gospel. Which, by the way, if you're sharing Christian stuff and you sound like you're promoting negativity and death, you probably have a bad gospel. He calls it life, right? All right. It's supposed to be good news, side note. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Okay, so the obvious lesson we can gather from this is that God's not limited by what we're limited by, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I'm in jail. God, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'll let you out. You're like, yeah, but the doors are locked. He's like, I have a key. Like, he's so good at mess, right? Because we're like, there's no way out of this one. And he's like, oh my goodness. You guys, it's not that complicated, right? And he's like, I'll just have an angel show up. And you're like, oh, that's a good answer. So here's the funny thing, because immediately my mind is a little odd, and so when the, the minute I start reading this passage, I was like, were they alone in jail, or were there like other people there? 
And they're like, hey, the angel's letting us. And the guys are like yawning. Oh, hey, oh, are we leaving? They're like, no, us, we're leaving. We have another bus that's coming by a little later. So you just go back night-night. Okay, yeah. And they're just like, well, I want to go, right? <laughs> and then, right, one slips out, you know? And then they're, uh, they're at the, early in the morning, and they're all preaching, and they're like, my name is Peter. And he's like, my name's John. He's like, hi, I'm Carl. And you're like, what the heck are you doing here? Like, and he's like, well, I had a DUI. And you're like, okay, bro, no, you were supposed to, Carl, go home. Go back to your place, right? And he says, I love this movement. I, I would like to speak next, if that's okay. You're like, okay, Carl, that, all right. So the angel lets him out, right? This is this miraculous thing. And they're back at it early, alarm, you know, it's 6 a.m. They're like, dude, we got to bed at 3. Okay, here we go. Come on, guys, let's go. Coffee, right? 21. When the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council. That's that big senate, that big Sanhedrin meeting of 70. It's the same group that met with Peter and John. It's the same group that condemned Jesus. All the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to bring the prisoners, the apostles, have them be brought in, verse 22. But when the officers came, they didn't find him in prison, so they returned and reported, hey guys, we found the prison securely locked. The guards are all still standing at the doors, but we opened them and there's nobody in there. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about him, wondering what in the world this was going to come to. Okay, first thing that cracks me up about it is that the angel locked back up. <laughs> hey guys, hold on a second. Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. We got to claim, like, just leave it open. No. Cleanliness is next to godliness. All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay, good, good. Wash your feet. Okay, all right, here we go. Now let's go. So nice that he cleaned up. That was very sweet. They're all super confused. What is going on here? We put them in prison. They're out. Our guards are still. Is there like an insider? Like, do we have a bad guy in our midst? Like, is somebody on their team? How the heck did they get out? So they're just spinning right? And then, verse 25, then somebody came and he told him, look, the men who you put in prison, they're standing out in public. They're right there in the temple teaching everyone again. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but this time not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Dude, that's a tough hood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, 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 can't we just talk? They're like, I will throw a rock at you till you die. <laughs> You're like, dude, just calm down, right? And it's did you see that massive power shift? Isn't this what they were worried about in the first place? Because now all of a sudden, the temple guard is being pushed back by the crowd. The crowd's pro-apostle, pro-Christianity, and you're like, oh, shoot, this is what we were afraid of. And they're like, you're not going to arrest them. I want to hear what they have to say. So they had to wait for a second. And they're like, okay, you guys, I need you to come with me peacefully, right? And the apostles are like, all right, let's go. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, verse 27, and the high priest questioned them, saying, gentlemen, we strictly charged you last time not to teach in the name of Jesus. Here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and what, you intend to bring this man's blood on us? Peter fires back. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom, yes, you did kill by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him and is his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Listen, guys, we're not teaching another religion. We're Jews. Look around. This is not a revolution against the Jewish people. The, Jesus was the Messiah of the Jewish people. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to convict you. And then he's here to save you. Like the whole idea, we're not anti-Jewish. We are pro-Jewish. We're trying to do what you raised us to do. You raised us to listen to God. That's what we're doing. What do you want us to do? Are you telling me you would hear a voice from God and you would deny him and you would reject him? I would hope you wouldn't. You guys have always been the leaders. You told us, look for the Messiah, look for the Messiah, look for the Messiah, look for the Messiah. Guess what? We found him. 
And I'm here to tell you, you killed him. Putting blood on your hands, it's on your hands, dude. I don't need to bring anything to you. You are flat out guilty. You know you handed him over to the Romans and they killed him. Don't you think it's on them? You're the ones that condemned him. How dare you? And here's the thing. We are here to help. We're here to do what is right. You want to talk about witnesses? Let's go. We watch this stuff. You don't have his body, do you? Nope, because he's alive and well. How do I know that? Not only do we see it, like 500 people have already seen him alive. You want me to go out and get him? I'll bring every one of them in here. And I'll say, did you see him? Did you see him? Did you see him? You want another witness better than that? Great. How about the Holy Spirit? You need two witnesses in court. Go. Apostles, Holy Spirit. What? We were in jail, and you can't even keep us in jail. So here's the thing. What are you going to do with the miracles? If the Holy Spirit is backing us up, that means you might be on the wrong side. Oh, shoot. I mean, is that not infuriating? When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. We got to be very cautious on something. This is not a made-up story. This is real life. If you want to get the most out of Scripture, I need you to enter into the emotion of a real event. I need you to begin to feel what everyone... You don't stand from a distance and start judging all these people. Oh, the Jews, they were all dumb, and they weren't, didn't know what they were talking about. And, right? I would never do that. Let me tell you a story. So, normally, I'm... I'm approached and, and noticed pretty much everywhere I go, okay? Usually it's the hair, <laughs> right? And then if it's not that, people are like at Walmart and they're like, I heard your voice, right? On the other aisle, it's kind of distinct. And so usually I'm, I'm kind of stopped pretty much everywhere I go. And so Susie will laugh about it and whatever. And she's like, dude, why, why, where you been? And I'm like, I just got in a conversation with somebody, right? And normally it just kind of happens. Well, yesterday was my fault. I started it, okay? So I'm sitting at Starbucks and I'm preparing for this message, right? Because I love to be prepared ahead of time. <laughs> anyway. So I'm working on the message, and I notice this guy next to me has a book open, and he doesn't have anything else on his desk. So, and the, the Starbucks tables are not that far apart, right? It's not like there's a petition wall. Like, you might as well be sitting on my table, right? It's right there. It's not like I'm rifling through his papers, right? It's one book, and he has his phone out in front of it, and it's open to the book of Daniel. It's the Bible. And so I was going to the bathroom, and, I, I, and in the bathroom, I was like, I'm going to encourage him, right? Because, you know, <laughs> that'll teach me. <laughs> and I come through, and I'm sitting down next to him, and I was like, and I was like hey, that's super cool you're reading the Word of God. And he's like, yep, I read it every day. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I, I'm a pastor. I love the idea that you would be bold and be able to, to read it and stuff. And I said, oh, do you go to church? locally? And he's like, well, I go to a church in Sacramento. It's kind of a different church. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. He's telling me a little bit about it. And I thought, well, you have to ask more questions. <laughs> An hour and 15 minutes later, <laughs> I had the weirdest conversation. So his eyes were so peaceful. And I mean, he was taller than me, which is rare. And he had facial hair. So I was immediately like, I'm not a man. And <laughs> And so I, I'm talking to him, and I was trying to encourage him at the beginning, and then he starts sharing with me what he's learning God's Word and, and, what, and what he began to tell me about my Lord, my God, and my Bible was the polar opposite of everything I've ever been told, everything I've ever taught. And it was so freaky. There was no animosity, there was nothing, just totally cool demeanor. And he was like, I was like, dude, your God sounds really angry. He's like, of course he's angry. He's angry all the time. Why wouldn't he be? Look at the sin. I was like, dude, how do you get saved? He's like, you just do everything right. I was like, uh, I don't, I don't think so. 
right? And he starts, and he's just real peacefully talking about all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, everything he said, I was like, I don't even know how to unpack this in like less than eight hours, right? Because I was like, ah, oh, no, 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 really no. No animal, just super chill, just talking with me the whole time. And I mean, it was really radical stuff. And I remember sitting there, I was going through so many emotions, you guys. My first emotion was rage, to be honest. I was like, Lord, please don't let anyone listen to this dude. Like, this is the most unhealthy view I've ever seen of Christianity. And I was so mad because here's why I was mad. He wasn't talking about another God. He was using mine. And he was using my Bible. And I'm like, no, that's my Bible. I'm really good at that thing. And I'm like, I've been doing this. I, I've been educated. I know this stuff. I know it backwards and forwards. And you're, everything you're telling me is not right. And, and you keep using God and Jesus. I'm like, stop. And I was so agitated. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, my emotions would shift. And I was like, oh, he's lost. Right? Oh, man, he's had some, you know, maybe the enemy's lying to him. I don't know what's going on. But, man, Lord, you got to save this guy. And then all of a sudden it triggers over to another one. I'm like, what if I'm wrong? What if I don't know anything? Oh, my gosh. Right? You know, because I'm not arrogant enough to think I know everything. Right? And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not saved. Oh, my gosh. You know? And then, and then all of a sudden it goes back, no, I'm angry. You know? And it was, it was like I was so all over the place. I was exhausted by the time I got home. The reason why I bring this up is that's how the religious Jewish leaders felt. Right? Let's play it out again. Oh, you're, you're a what? Yeah, we're Christians. Okay, what are, you, what are you telling me? Yeah, the Messiah of Scripture sent by God is here, and then you killed him. Oh, gotcha. Got, how long have you been in religion? Oh, three years. Gotcha. Anyway, yeah, we're the gatekeepers of the Messiah. It's kind of what we do. We already checked out the dude. He's not legit. And so, no, he's not it. And here's the thing. What you're telling me, what you're not doing another religion, you're saying you're following Yahweh? No, 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 that's our guy. Like, we follow Yahweh. That's what we do, right? And you're using what, my Bible? again? I, I misread it. Is that what you're telling me? Dude, I know the Old Testament longer than you've been alive. So this whole, I missed something, I didn't read it right, I didn't, that's how it felt. Because I can tell you everything in my spirit was like, absolutely not. And if this guy's version is legit, I don't even want any part of it. And that's how they felt. Because it's so easy to step back and we know we're on the right side. Do you realize everyone believes they're on the right side? Nobody ever says, I am squarely on the wrong side, <laughs> right? Everybody, everybody's on the right side, which by the way, God's always on your side. Have you noticed that? That's a little weird. I just need us to appreciate the mind bender that everybody was going through. They thought they were protecting God and they weren't. They missed him. God. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them, verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, which, by the way, that guy is literally famous. He is known in our history books. All the Jews know who this guy is. He's the one that trained Saul of Tarsus. So if you know Paul the Apostle, he was trained under Gamaliel. That guy is for real. Now, he's not a Christian. He was a Jewish leader. He was a rabbi. But he was known for his wisdom. Right? So everybody knew he was a big deal. Uh, he stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And here's what he was saying. Gentlemen, I need to talk to you for a moment. Can we excuse the prisoners for a second? They don't need to be hearing this. This is an internal matter. I don't think that we need to feel this fire. Okay, cool. Can you guys step out for a second? All right, hold on. Okay, guys, can you close the door? All right, cool. Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, you remember this, right? Theotis? He rose up claiming to be somebody, right? A number of men, I think it was about 400. They all joined his movement. Then he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and it came to nothing. And then after him, more recently, if you remember Judas the Galilean, 
rose up in the days of the census, and they drew away some of the people after him, but then he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. All right, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail anyway. But if it's from God, you won't even be able to overthrow him. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them to not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. Okay, so what did he say? Guys, if they are Jews trying to talk about Judaism and it's bogus, it's eventually going to fall apart. But if it's God, and we're on the wrong side of this thing, that's going to be really bad. What I'm telling you is let God sort it out, give it some space. Don't go after him. And they took his advice. And you're like, oh, so then they just let him go. Well, no, they beat them. <laughs> then they let him go, right? So why didn't God stop the beating, right? Last time, Peter and John didn't get a beating. I mean, they got to go home. So why would God let that happen? It's not very nice. <clears throat> if you look through a localized lens, it appears that the apostles dodged a bullet. Isn't that how it feels? Right? Like you're like, oh man, they killed Jesus. They totally could have killed them. Woo! Gamaliel, God had a plant in there. That's awesome. We got out of it. But that's not true. They didn't dodge a bullet. This was always the plan. How do we know? Because Jesus called it a long time ago. What did he tell his disciples? Guys, just like me, you're going to be arrested and you're going to be drugged in front of councils. I don't need you to worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words at that time. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be imprisoned. Just understand that's part of your assignment. That was the plan. But here's what's interesting about God's plans. Don't you always think you know a better one? Hey, so... Just spitballing here. <laughs> what about the no beating, <laughs> right? I just think it's a quicker thing, right? I, I don't think we need to take that kind of time. Are you okay that God wanted to get the gospel to the Sanhedrin and it was going to cost you a beating? Because that's your assignment. Because here's the interesting thing. God wanted to get the gospel to the Sanhedrin, how exactly were you going to do that if you're the early Christian church? Were you going to send out invitations and have them over for tea? And they're going to show up, right? Nope. So what did God do? Ticked them all off, and then they invited the apostles to hear the gospel twice. Now, it cost you a beating and an imprisonment and a lot of scary stuff, but it's how we're doing it. See, when God has assignments for you, sometimes it aligns with you, and sometimes it really doesn't. What are you going to do with that? Hey, I need you to do something that's going to make you look stupid. Okay. Well, I need you to do something that's going to be awkward. Okay. Well, I need you to do something that's very inconvenient. Okay. The apostles had a very different viewpoint on what they were there to do. As much as they were human, they knew the mission. What was the mission? Jesus' agenda all the time, all the way. So how did it work out? Look at verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching that the Messiah is Jesus. They're rejoicing? They were counted worthy. Counted by who? The only one that matters, God. Because here's how they were processing it. Out of everyone God could have used, he picked me. My Jesus got beat. I got beat. By his stripes we are saved. I remember looking at his back. Look, I have him too. You see, the culture in the early church was a little different. Suffering for Christ's name was cool. Imagine we're all in a church service in the ancient world and they're like, we have a guest speaker today. He's running a little bit late. He'll be in here in a second. All of a sudden, eh, door opens up. 
This guy walks in. Your, your buddy leans over. Dude, dude, you know who that is? No, who is that? That's Thomas, bro. Tom, what? The tank engine? No. <laughs> dude, Thomas the apostle. And he's like, the apostle, like doubting Thomas. Shh. He hates that name. Dude, I'm talking about like, like, look at that guy. That guy walked with Jesus. That guy's done crazy miracles. Like in everything, watch when he sits down. Watch his robe. Watch his robe. Check his back out. Dude, look at those welts. Man, that guy's hardcore. Different world. Because then your friend goes, he's my hero. Hmm. How are we going to play our part in God's grand plan? The only way is to say yes every time, all the way through. It may or may not line up with your plans and your agenda, but it's why we're here. Yeah? I'm just going to close us in prayer and just pray that God would begin to just dial us in. That we begin to see things like he sees them. You guys, the, the end of this story, the disciples are rejoicing. They're like, come on, bring it. Because I'm starting to get used to this whole thing now. We matter. Our ministry matters. Let's go. Yeah? Quite a Jesus revolution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we glorify you. God, you are so good. I'm embarrassed, Lord, by all the times that you told me to do things, and I adjust them. I tell you what I will and won't do. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating, to be honest. Like somehow I'm in charge, like I'm sitting in your seat. So God, just on behalf of my brothers and sisters in this holy moment where we suddenly have clarity, God, I'm just praying that you would hear our hearts cry out, yes, Lord. We want everything you have for Bridgeway. Yes, Lord. We want everything you have for our families. Yes, Lord. We want everything that you have for our hearts. Yes, Holy Spirit. We want your movement and freedom here, even though it's uncomfortable. Yes, Holy Spirit, we want people to be healed and dramatically changed, and if that comes at our cost, so be it. Yes, Holy Spirit, we say yes to what you want to do. God, let revival burn in our hearts so it might spill out on everybody around us. They might be loved to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.